Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment. Think healthcare provision during a pandemic. Think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, Stuart Hodge speaks to Neil Spann, Managing Director of Power Roll a startup at the cutting edge of innovation in the solar energy space, Powerall believes its low-cost and flexible solar film could help break down adoption barriers. In the interview, Neil explains the unique architecture of the product and discusses how it is generating energy for underserved communities around the world. But first, Stuart asks Neil to reveal his own path to Powerall. Uh, it's it's been an interesting journey. So I I, uh, I followed my maths degree, uh, getting into the field of accountancy. I worked for some of the large global accountancy firms and ended up working with Ernst and Young, and then joined a company in the northeast that was doing some really interesting things. This was back in two thousand and seven, and that company was called Eager, and it was working in energy efficiency and renewables, mm-hmm. and it was going through an IPO. The process I joined it. It was one of those companies I liked it so much I, I joined the business afterwards. And Eager was a great business because it, it did two things. It made a difference to people's lives. So we were running fuel poverty programs for the UK government and some overseas uh, entities, as well as obviously we provide, providing a return to our shareholders. So, um, And back in 2010, we raised quite a substantial sum of money to put solar power onto social housing rooftops. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a pretty innovative model back in the day. So that got, got us into thinking about uh, solar power. And that's where I met Two guys who were also on the board of, of Powerall, Drew Johnson, who was the CEO, and Ian McLeod, who was the CFO. And we saw that business in 2011, went off and did our own different things. And then we met a guy called John Topping. And John, he is uh, a physicist. He had a background in both stealth technology and food packaging. Quite an interesting oh, combination. That is an interesting combination. <laughs> and what I'm thinking is you've now been out-geeked a little. Yes, perhaps. yes, definitely, definitely. He is he is the official uh, the official geek in the company, it's fair to say. He, he <laughs> came up, by putting these two things together, came up with the concept of using microstructures to create solar panels and, and many more things we'll, we'll get into. Yeah. And we, we got excited by this because we, we knew the economics of solar. Um, and we knew that if, if this technology was, was real, um, that we could really make a difference in the world. So we, we, we backed it, we invested. I joined as CEO in 2014, and it's been an interesting journey, but I have to say one of the most enjoyable things I've done to date. So there's obviously got to be a passion there um, for, for, for renewable energy, for all of that sort of environmental side of it. I, I imagine that's, that's very much a driving factor for you. Yeah, absolutely. For for all of us at Powerall, you know, as I said before, we 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 call ourselves um, environmental capitalists to a degree. You know, we want to make a difference, uh, but also, you know, we want to you know have a good outcome for our staff and and our shareholders. So, absolutely, and and you know, climate change, I'm sure we'll get into, is uh, you know, is second top of the agenda after COVID at the moment, and soon will be top of the agenda. Yeah, Obviously, absolutely. COP twenty six coming up in 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 Glasgow this year, and. It needs new solutions, and yeah, it's 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 a huge passion, absolutely. 
Well, that's very much why we launched Tech for Goods, a publication, was was to highlight these stories where people are actually trying to address these problems. And that's why it's good to chat to people like yourself very much. So you've told us a bit about Power Roll, how you guys started. Now let's talk about the solar film technology itself. Mm -hmm. How does it work and, and what makes it unique? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you stand back, the, the, the basic design behind solar modules hasn't really changed in 20, 30 years. Why is there that? Are, uh, I think because basically um, people have focused on optimizing it, absolutely. And to be fair to the solar industry, the cost of, of ground-mounted solar, in particular solar farms, is now competitive or cheaper than fossil fuels in many instances. So costs have, costs have come down. New materials are emerging, but effectively... Um, what we've come up with is a new way, a new way to make solar energy. It's a new architecture. It's not a new material. It's it's a new way to do it. So um, what we've so, done so, is... So what does that uh, mean then, just just for the yeah, limit? Yeah, so, so basically in, in standard um, solar cells, they typically work in a sandwich arrangement with a substrate, with materials, the, the photoactive materials in the middle, and then another piece of glass or something else on the top. So like a sandwich. Yeah, one the on top of the other. One yeah. on top of the other. The light comes through. There's the photovoltaic effect, create energy. Um, what what John did, John, the, who invented this technology, is basically he said, actually, there's a, there is a different way um, because that that has some limitations. It's quite capital intensive to make current flex, uh, current um, solar PV, um, and it's also pretty energy intensive, surprisingly. So um, what John came up with is a way to use existing processes that are used in the field of holograms and in food packaging to come up with a new architecture. So when we say a new architecture, what we do is we take, instead of taking a piece of glass or a piece of metal foil, we take a, a plastic substrate. Um, into that plastic substrate, we create microstructures. So these are smaller than a human hair and they're mm -hmm. created using the same process as a hologram. So the Visa Dove on your credit card um, or, or, or on a banknote, what we do is we create our structures using that same process. It's, it's, it's a physical effect, not an optical effect. And then what we do is we, we into those microstructures, we, we deposit the photoactive materials. And by doing that, uh, we create solar, solar power in a completely unique way. And the so what point is, okay, that sounds interesting and it is cool. Um, you know, one of the strap lines that John, John used when we first met him was that we can possibly make solar panels like crisp packets. And mm. it turns out that we can. Um, and basically the benefits of what we're doing is it takes a lot of the process steps out that others use. Um, it uses production processes that are used in low technology, basically low technology sectors and low cost sectors, and it allows us to, to scale the, the technology very cost effectively. So it's, it is just a completely new way. It's a new architecture. To power the house then, how, yeah. how big an expanse of this do you need? If you look at a standard rooftop, um, basically we would be able to generate around about four kilowatts which would be sufficient for you know a standard house in the UK. If you compare us to the silicon technology, which is the one you're most familiar with, the very heavy yeah, glass-based yeah, yeah. products, we, we, we'll be about 20% less efficient in terms of overall output. But there's a few very important buts. A fraction of the cost to make, a fraction of the cost to install, and our product can go fundamentally where it silicon can't go uh, so the technology itself as a journalist your natural position with anything has to be somewhat skeptical so what yes. is how has nobody had this idea first 
when you look at problems from a different end of the, the telescope, you often come up with a different solution. And that's, and that's what John did. You know, if you look at the, if go back a little bit, if you look at the world of, of, of PV, it falls into two main camps. You've got the silicon PV glass-based type products, which are the dominant technology, and then you have flexible. And the flexible products that are out there are, are pretty good in some respects, but they basically use the same architecture as the traditional silicon panels. What John did, because he wasn't steeped in the industry, he came at it from a very different way, which is what is the lowest cost way I can make a two-terminal electrical device? And from that, then came the the the, the seed of the idea, which was how the microgroove uh, concept came. So it, it was from looking at something from a, a manufacturing perspective rather mm -hmm. than taking an existing product and trying to make it a roll-to-roll -roll type uh, uh uh, process. So it was a, a, just a completely different approach. And and often, I mean, we've we've had others who've looked at this technology and said, it it is it's it's elegantly simple, um, but it is completely unique. And that's what's really exciting. I mean, we've got twenty different patent families granted in over sixty five countries now across wow. the globe, and um, which is you know gives us some comfort that um, our technology is indeed as unique as, as we think it is. Hello, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this podcast and if you want more, you can head over to techforgood.net for some compelling and thought-provoking stories. From high-tech insect farms that could solve world hunger to a global mission to counter the spread of COVID-19 disinformation, we've got Tech for Good covered. You can read and subscribe at techforgood.net. How disruptive has the technology been so far? And, and what do you see as the potential disruption that this can have? And if it's going to be, what are the keys to that going to be? Yeah, absolutely. You know, great question. So in terms of where we are and how disruptive today, so we, we've been through the journey of proving the science because like yourself, we started with a skeptical mind. Is it you really as good? <laughs> you have to. Is it really as good as we think it is? Now, we've done the hardcore science. We've worked with the universities like Oxford and Sheffield and University of Austin, Texas, um, and the National Renewable Energy Lab over in the US. And we we know that the, the fundamental uh, technology works. What we're doing now, and we've just we've just finished an investment round, um, and we've so we're building a pilot plant here in the northeast, which is going to allow us to get some first products into the market. So, and the potential disruptiveness of this of this technology is huge, and we've got a lot of interest from really across the globe. So we're talking about India, Japan, Southeast Asia, Africa, and we'll we'll get into some of those in a little bit more detail, perhaps. But the potential here is to have a technology that is so low cost that it breaks down the barrier to adoption fundamentally in some of those countries. And if you look at some of the applications we'll get into, such as pumping water, off-grid applications, you know, this really can make a difference to lives and communities across across the globe um, on, a, on, on quite a large scale. Now, with that in mind, I was really excited to read about a couple of the projects you guys have ongoing at the moment. So in Zambia and in, in rural India and in the Himalayas. So tell us a bit about those projects, what you're hoping to achieve and the effect that those can have on a, on a holistic sort of basis. 
So we've, we've been working with a, a quite a wide range of partners to look at what are you know some very um, interesting use cases that will make a difference. So if we look at those two project, projects separately, so we've been working with a, a partner in India called the Energy and Resources Institute, which is one of India's leading think tanks on sustainability and renewables. And they've identified quite a few markets that they think our technology is, is really um, well-placed to, 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 uh, to attack and, and to penetrate. And one of those is off-grid location. So we, we've been working with a, vi a village in the Himalayas, uh, where obviously, if you're trying to transport current existing silicon panels, just to give you an idea, they weigh about 12 kilograms per meter squared, and ours is something like 300 grams. So to remote villages, it's actually quite a challenge to transport these existing heavy panels. Literally, you could carry 25 kilowatts of our solar film under your arm if you if you wanted to. So it's very easy to transport to these remote locations. We've been we've been we've got a a test system um, using a, a technology that um, is a forerunner to to our uh, our main technology um, to basically trial the system to see how it's adopted in those villages. And it's the feedback is brilliant in terms of its easiness, ease to deploy and and ease of use. So that's very exciting. And if you expand that out more globally in India, I mean India has something like six hundred and forty thousand villages. Um, that are possibly nominally connected to the electricity grid, but they are hugely intermittent and remote to get to in some instances and, you know, you know, require a very low cost solution. So our model there is if you just take even 50 kilowatts, as I said before, 50 kilowatts of our film to the, each of those villages, you're talking about the potential to drive gigawatts of installed capacity into, into rural India. So that's, that's, that's one um, opportunity that we've been working on in India. A second, and I'll come on to the Zambia that's one in, in a second if that's okay, Stuart. Excited. Yeah, yeah, it's so it, exciting. Oh, like, it's, the it, potential. It, 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 it is. It is, it is. And, and, and the next one is, you know, equally exciting. So in it, if you take India, we, 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 we do a, we're doing a lot of work in India because they, the size of the opportunity is huge, but also in, at, at our previous business, Eager, we had, we had some uh, relationships in India, so it made it easier for us to enter that market. But if you take mm -hmm. water pumping, something like 20% of all the energy in India is used to pump water. And there's something like 30 million water pumps used. And a lot of those are diesel powered. It's, ex it's expensive, it's polluting, it's, you know, they're not particularly uh, environmentally friendly. So the, the Indian government is going through a program of wanting to trans, uh, basically um, uh, swap those out for solar powered water pumps. So the current silicon will do a job, but as I said, expensive to transport, not the easiest to install and still at a certain cost. So our film offers the potential to, to basically um, repurpose those water pumps to be powered by solar. So that again is a huge opportunity and you take that, then, that model to then the rest of Southeast Asia and then into, some, uh, into Africa, the, the, there's a huge, huge opportunity there. So, so, so very excited about that, about that. If we go to the Zambia project, so we've been working with some partners in, in uh, Zambia, such as OneCall, and also a company called Verogrid, who specialise in putting microgrids into uh, into uh, villages. And again, the, we've been working with a clinic there. And again, the ability to power a clinic overnight, um, you know, using the sun's energy during the day with a combination of our solar film and a battery, uh, offers just huge potential. And, and obviously, clinics at the moment, you know, and going forward, are absolutely critical in obviously the vaccination progress. So. You know, there's a, there's a number of factors coming together that we think can make a huge difference. So we're we're really excited by it, and our mission this year is to get a number of those demonstration sites um, in play 
uh, following the construction of our pilot plant here in the UK. So it's 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 hugely exciting, Stuart. Just taking it away from the company itself and the work you guys are doing for a moment, just in general, as a human race, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you think we're realising the potential of solar energy as a whole? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think the answer is yes, but but we can do more. I mean, the, the, there's some crazy stats. Um, there's something like 170,000 terawatts of energy, solar energy hits the earth at any one point in time, which is much more than we'll ever need as a, as a, as a human race. Um, mm-hmm. And as we said earlier, um, the solar industry has done a great job of bringing the cost of silicon modules down to a point where for ground-mounted solar farms, they're cost-effective. But actually, to meet net zero targets, We've got to do more and we've got to do it faster um, because we have to remember that in, if you take some countries, energy consumption is going to increase between something like 40 and 60 percent in countries over the next 10 years. So we need to do more and we need to do it faster. And this is mm-hmm. not saying our technology is going to replace all of silicon. What it can do is drive into those use cases where uh, it can't be, can't be used. I'll exactly. Give you a, a simple, it's, like, it's not viable yeah. to use yeah. silicon or it's, the existing tech that's available. Exactly. I mean, if you take, um, if you look at what's happening in the UK, we've got 14 gigawatts of solar installed roughly to date. Um, but that's really petered out now. We're getting a couple of hundred megawatts a year now being installed, mainly solar farms. Our view for the UK and developed economies is to open up those rooftops and surfaces that are there to be used and not necessarily usable land for large scale solar farms. Um, which obviously have a place, they absolutely do, but we want to take the power to where it's being consumed. So what are the biggest challenges then that that, that we're facing? Uh, and I mean that again on a more holistic level. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, I think, you know, renewables, you know, are penetrating at a reasonably good rate. You need storage solutions. Storage is key. And, you know, there is a battery technology is improving. And I think we are we are looking at how we optimize our technology to either minimize or optimize the amount of battery storage that's required because you, you do need a holistic solution. We've got to join up, you know, that that whole value chain. I think the 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 second is um is driving adoption in terms of at the macro level. I'm I'm not looking about power, I'm looking at is driving adoption in yeah. particular. If we take India, it's an interesting example. In India, a lot of people are getting power for free, whether that's actually legally or illegally. Um, they may be getting electricity at a very low cost. So therefore, their desire to move to a renewable is quite low. So mm. um, even it, what we are trying to do is break some of those barriers down. So it's um, there's there's a few different macro factors that are at play, but I think the storage side and, and breaking down some of those barriers for adoption would be the two macro factors that I see it um, from that perspective, Stuart. Ah, that's a good answer. What are the other current sort of hot topics and trends in the solar space generally at the moment? And are any of these influencing what you guys are doing? Yeah, no, that, that is a great question. So there's a lot of work in the solar field at the moment in, in relation to new materials. And in particular, there is a particular flavor, if I use that term, uh, you can tell I'm not a scientist, a flavor of material called perovskites. And that is probably um, the most researched material in the solar field at present. Now, it's been around for about five years, but it offers the potential for high efficiency as well as, as low cost. And that is, that's brilliant for Powerall because we can adopt this uh, very low cost material into our very low cost architecture and put the two together to come up with something that's unique. There are other companies across the world working on perovskites, uh, which is a benefit for us because we can obviously uh, learn that knowledge as the, as the material develops. 
But in five years' time, a new material will come along and a new material after that. And I think this is a very important point insofar mm. that what we've got as a delivery mechanism or an architecture, as new materials come along, we can adopt those. Do you want to keep up to date with the latest in enterprise, technology and digital transformation? Visit digitalbulletin.com for news, long reads, thought leadership and so much more. That's digitalbulletin.com. Is, is there any other technology or technologies that you, you would pick out that are, are driving the provision of solar energy at the moment that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's some there's some different use cases coming out um, and some different applications. You know, uh, I think there was a, um, you know, the solar farms are what people think of when you think of solar or you maybe think of solar on your domestic property. I've got solar. But there are some more innovative ways that solar is being developed and integrated into um, uh, other surfaces. So if you take one, for example, is um, when you're building a building at the moment, typically solar is retrofitted uh, mm -hmm. onto the building. Well, one of the concepts that's growing, and we're not the only people looking at this, but it is an area we're looking at, which is if you can integrate the solar into the building materials themselves. So when you build a warehouse or you build a modular house or whatever it's going to be, it's already green when it's built. So the, the solar film is not retrofit. It's already in the building materials. So integrating renewables and solars yeah. into the underlying structures of buildings and building materials, I think, is a massive, a massive opportunity, um, you know, going forward. I think then more innovative use cases, as we talked about, things like pumping water, desalination. There's a, the, there's now floating solar. That's an interesting concept. So if you haven't got land, can you put it on water? So there's a lot of innovation coming as to where solar. Does your grow. film float? It it will absolutely naturally float. It's it's uh, it's super lightweight, so it's it's going to float. Um, it's not a market where ne necessarily there's there's many other markets that we're going to target uh, before that. But yes, it could absolutely. That's see, I mean that in itself. I mean, you look at the earth. Obviously, it's composed of two thirds water. That, yeah, that's it. That that's to me seems like a really natural thing to look at rather than building an oil rig. Why not just put loads of solar panels? Well, it, it, it's absolutely possible. I mean, we, we've been asked by somebody if we could clad ships in this. And the answer is probably yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's what, you know, it's one of these, it's almost an unlimited set of applications that we could go. And, you, you, you know, whenever I'm driving on a train or on a plane, you look down at the surface and go, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the lightness, the efficiency of it, I think, is, is is the really exciting thing. And I can now see how the maths grad has got to this point. <laughs> because obviously, as you as you chase, I think if you're always looking from the perspective of having the, the best for, or, of humanity at the forefront of your mind and, and looking to do your best to safeguard the earth that we live on, then I can see how you can use the areas that you go into, the people you meet, the contacts to get to that point, you know? And obviously you've been MD, Managing Director of the company for over seven years. What have been the biggest challenges over that time? I would highlight three. I mean, it's, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, it was a massive cultural shock to the system coming from large companies with, you know, thousands of employees with a nice infrastructure to two employees. Um, on, on day one with no office, no facilities, no nothing. So it was a very interesting cultural uh, change for myself, hugely enjoyable, but different. 
I think one of the challenges when you're a small company with a with a new technology is uh, basically no no one believes you and secondly um, you don't have all the funds that you would like to have to be able to do all the testing that you want so you know there was quite a lot of challenges in the early days getting the right partners on board um, cost effectively to be able to prove the tech so so that was probably the first three or four you know five years of the business going through that journey of doing the hard the hardcore science and 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 working uh, working with partners on that I think as we're now going into a scaling phase, actually the, the challenges are different because we're now going into sort of engineering, manufacturing and scaling up. And that requires quite a different skill set in the business. So, you know, we're growing our team quite significantly at the moment to bring those types of skills in. And it is a different developing a technology and then developing manufacturing and bringing products to market is, is a different skill set. So one of my, you know, uh, challenges, I guess, key focus at the moment is that change of of uh, emphasis of skills in the business and yeah. also the types of companies that we're dealing with and as a, you know we can't say too much right at the moment but we have some um large-scale companies uh, talking to us in in india and japan who are very interested in basically licensing our technology to manufacture at mass scale in those markets so again um we're starting to be more outward focused than we were internally focused developing the technology so so it's it's a shift as the business is naturally getting nearer to, to marketing the first product. And, you know, as I say, the solar plant uh, will be online in the second half of this year up, up here in, in the northeast. And we're looking forward to having some output to get into some of these uh, very interesting applications. Yeah, no, that, that sounds quite exciting. What's what's the next sort of phase after that? I mean, have you got have you got a vision moving forward? Yeah, I mean, our vision is that we're going to have, um, for the solar film, um, manufacturing um, hubs that are close to market because we see very little benefit in man having a centralized manufacturing and then shipping this across the world. We want to create manufacturing hubs near market, India, Japan, Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, Middle East. Uh, Again, America. that's just efficient though, isn't it? It's yeah. like make the energy close to where it's going to be getting deployed. Absolutely. So actually create the manufacturing unit there. So almost a sort of spoke model. So basically where our vision is to have, you know, 10 gigawatts or more of our solar film being deployed, manufactured and deployed in local markets. That's our vision over the next sort of three to five years. And, um, you know, we're really excited about doing that. And then, you know, the potential carbon savings we haven't really talked about, but the carbon savings from what we're doing are just phenomenal. I mean, a single gigawatt factory, uh, which will be installed in these uh, various locations, has the potential to save something like 500 million tons of CO2. So it's you know this wow. this can make a substantial difference to uh, uh, you know to the to the CO2 reduction programs. Final question from myself is just how excited are you about the future, both in terms of the space as a whole and for the future of the company and yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an incredibly exciting time. I mean, as we start, and it's quite an interesting position because, you know, COVID is still clearly a massive issue, but from a parallel perspective, we're, we're really excited about where we are as a business. And I think as a as a, as a wider piece, the, there's a lot of change that's got to happen and that's very exciting. But from a parallel perspective, we've, we've raised investment, we've got a pilot plant under construction, We've got some amazing applications that we're ready to, to scale into. So for us as a business, we are really excited about the, the, the challenge and opportunities that are ahead of us. And from a personal perspective, as I said earlier, you know, this is the this is the greatest thing I've done in terms of my, my work career. And, you know, if we can grow, grow this business and the technology as well as I think we can, 
we're going to make a huge difference you know to uk and to the rest of the world moving forward so it's it's very exciting um from from on many levels that was the tech for good podcast listen subscribe and rate us on spotify apple Podcasts, and stitcher Thank you.